Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So I felt like the Lord wanted me to interrupt our series on the life of Jesus and talk about families today. And I don't know why he did that. I felt very strongly that he said talk about families. So Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, minister to us today about families for whatever it is that we are needing. God, if it's a correction, if it's a reassurance, if it's just a new perspective, if it's something that will help our church to grow or our personal families to grow. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us and we would catch your heart and your mind on families today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Families are awesome. They're the building blocks that God has chosen to build the world. Um, you know, in, in our bodies we have cells and each cell has DNA in it. And the DNA is the same in every cell, but each cell expresses that DNA in slightly different ways. So it either becomes a hair cell or an eye cell or a skin cell, whatever it is. But every cell has that DNA. The building block, the DNA that God has chosen to build the world and human society and His church and His kingdom, everything that God has chosen to do is through families. And it's quite a shocking thing because in our modern world that is not the most important thing family has been kind of changed the whole definition of it and the whole way people think of it to the point where family is really not an important thing anymore for most people it's not a building block of society family is just well we kind of you are our parents and we're the children so we better live together and get on with our own lives and one day we'll go off our separate ways and Family really doesn't have a whole lot of meaning anymore, but in God's view of the world and human interactions, family is so important. A mom and a dad and kids and a mission that that family is on becomes something that God says, I can use this to build the world, to build my kingdom, to build my church, and to extend my purposes around the world. Family, for God, is the crucial building block. And I felt like the Lord said to me today, let's just explain some of the concepts that God has about family because the modern concepts are so weird. And if we hold up God's against the modern ones, we can change our way of thinking. And the Bible calls itself a plumb line, which is a, a line that's straight and we hold up our lives against it and then we change when our lives don't match up to the plumb line. So today is quite a light and relaxed talk about families. I'm going to talk about mums. I'm going to talk about dads, kids, grandparents. And then at the end of us, we'll try and compare, at, at the end of the talk, we'll try and compare how our lives are compared to that. Let me talk about mums for a second. The Bible has some amazing things to say about mums. I don't know if you've ever read Proverbs 31. It's, it's a description of the Proverbs 31, the perfect mum and wife. And she's an amazing woman. She's kind and gentle but she's also industrious and she buys and sells things and she does business and she provides for her family she gets up early and her her children rise up and call her blessed she's an amazing wonder woman but then there's some other amazing things that it says about mums and wives 1 peter 3 verse 3 says do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging your hair wearing gold putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of your heart 
with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That's what God says is a beautiful woman, a gentle, quiet spirit and, and, a, and a godliness on the inside. Isn't that beautiful? There's another verse which talks about older women teaching younger women. Let me just find it. It says, he's talking, uh, older women likewise be reverent, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Older women are supposed to be teachers. And then it says, they should teach and encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So God has all sorts of ideas for women, but the one thing that really struck me today is that in the modern world, a woman is always being compared to a, a photoshopped, airbrushed idea of what a perfect woman is like. And it broke my heart when I thought of that, because God doesn't compare you, woman, wife, mother, to anybody else. Just hear what I'm saying for a second. Woman, God does not compare you to anybody else or any other picture of a woman. In the Bible, in the Song of Songs, He compares you to... Well, let me read you a few things of what He compares you to. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. He always compares the woman to something other, but not another woman. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I'm not sure how that looks. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep. Woolly, I guess. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet. The curves of your thighs are like jewels. It's going to get a little bit racy and a bit steamy in here in a minute. So just bear it in mind it is the Bible that I'm reading. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools in Heshbon. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. So it's good to have a big sticking out nose. Amen. The point is, he compares her to other things in a complimentary way. He never compares her to another woman. Never. It's never right for you to compare yourself to another person or for your husband or for anyone else to compare you to anyone else or say you're not measuring up. I like this last one. Your stature is like that of a palm. Your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. <laughs> right, what about dads? The modern, the modern idea or version of a dad is a bit of a bumbling idiot. If you look at all the movies, the TV shows, where there, wherever there's a family, the dad is a weirdo, he's out of touch, he's a bit crazy, he doesn't really know what's going on, and he doesn't have any real effect or impact on the family. He's just the silly guy who everyone laughs at. But the Bible says that dads are like representing God to the family. Amazing. God says, I need to have a head in the home. I need to have someone who's going to represent me in the home. Who shall it be? And he says, I'm choosing a man, not because he's better, but just because we need to have a head. Headship is God's idea. And he says, I'm choosing the one with the Y chromosome. He gets to be the head. Not because he's better. Just like often the captain of a rugby team is not the best player, but we need to have somebody who says this is the way we're going. So dads are supposed to represent God to their family. They're supposed to, when the kids look at dad, they're supposed to see a picture of God. And he's supposed to show them God's character, 
God's love, God's compassion, God's guidance. They're supposed to give vision and direction to the family. They're supposed to protect their family and guard them. And um, I love this verse in Ephesians 6 verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Or other versions say, do not frustrate your children. You know when, when your child's doing something and you say, right, it's 8.30, it's bedtime. And the child says, Dad, I've been doing this puzzle for the last hour and a half. I've just got two pieces to go. Please, can I do the last two pieces? And you say, no, it's 8.30. That's provoking your child to wrath. That's frustrating your child. It's not showing the, the compassion and the love of God. But then he goes on to say, bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's a picture of nurture, training, guidance where the dad is involved all the time with the child and leading and guiding and showing the child which way to go. What about children? Nowadays, children are sometimes seen as an inconvenience. It's amazing how few children people have. In many, many countries in Europe, the population is declining because people are having less than two children. And yet the Bible says, uh, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And then it goes on to say, this is Psalm 127, verse 3 and 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of your youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. The picture is that children are a blessing, but they're not just a blessing to make our dining table full of people. They are arrows in your hand. And I want you to just get this picture. The Bible says that children become arrows that we shoot out and God's kingdom is extended around the world. It's an amazing picture. Every child is a potential weapon for God, an intercontinental ballistic missile to go to another nation, another place, and extend God's kingdom. You know, I love my family and my kids. I, I really, I would love to spend my whole life with my kids, even when they're 60. I want them to still be in my home. But the reality is in God's family, we send children. We send them. If they want to go to Bolivia to be church planters, praise God. Now the family is doing its job. We're sending them out like arrows, and they're supposed to go. And they still remain close to us in relationship, but they go and they take God's kingdom all around the world. Children are supposed to be uh, obedient and submissive to their, to their parents. And this picture of when they reach teenage years, there's a couple of, of stereotypes that I think are wrong. One is the terrible twos. Many people say, oh, when your child reaches two, it's just the end of the world. They become rebellious and you never get them back. And then people say, when they reach teenage years, oh, it's awful. They just turn into a horrible person. It doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. If we do things God's way, if we show God's love and correction, and we maintain a relationship with our kids, we can have great relationships with our kids right the way through so that there's a, a unit that extends God's kingdom around the world. Just another thing about parents and marriage. I'm going quickly, but there's a lot to cover. Parents and marriage, you know, Unfortunately, marriage has become something that is temporary. I'm sure I don't need to tell you, but God's idea of marriage is until death 
parts us. That's God's idea. He says it's not supposed to be something. I read an amazing article in one of the American newspapers recently where people are rewriting the marriage vows and they're saying, I promise to love you, honor you, cherish you until I no longer love you. People are saying that in their marriage vows. And that's not what marriage is all about. That's not what family is all about. In Malachi chapter 2, God talks about uh, the wife of your youth being united to you in spirit so that God would have godly families being birthed. He says, I hate divorce because I've made them one in spirit. And the modern world says marriage is just a convenience thing. Oh, well, it suits us now. We're going to get married. We're going to spend some time together and we'll see how it goes. That's not God's idea. He says, you're one. You're committed no matter what. You can't, you can't just break this thing. It's, it's an important thing. You stick together. Now, I know that there are people who are divorced, and I know that that happens, and God can forgive, and we move on, and God can restore and give new blessing and new families. But I just want to say that if we understand God's intention, it helps us to understand the strength and the beauty of marriage. The other thing is independence in marriage. I, I don't want to step in anyone's toes. I really don't. But I honestly don't think we should have separate money when we get married. I really don't. It just, it just doesn't make sense. In our, in our wedding vows, we say, and all my worldly goods with thee I share, but I still retain my signing power on my account. It just doesn't make sense. And, and it's not just money. It's every single area of my life, I should be able to open it up to my family and my spouse. In our, in our home, we have one email address for the whole family. We have one Facebook account for the whole family. Everybody knows everybody's passwords. There's just no, there's nothing that's not shared. And people say, that's so inconvenient, Greg. When I want to send you an email, everyone in your family can read, read the email. Well, that's just the way it is. I'm sorry. That's just the way we do it. We don't hide things. If you really have a secret thing, put it in an attachment and password protected and let me know the password and we'll, we'll do it that way. But it's open, it's shared, it's, it's, a, it's one unit altogether. Right, let me talk about courtship quickly. Courtship. You know, in the Bible, this idea of dating is not there. Isaac needs a wife. Abraham's got a son called Isaac, and Isaac is getting on in years. He was about late 30s, and he didn't have a wife yet. And Abraham calls his servant Gehazi and he brings him in and he says, go and find a wife for my son Isaac. This is in Genesis 24. Go and find a wife for Isaac and make sure she's of the right people, the people who are of our family and who love God and who are serving God, not from the pagans around. And so the servant goes and he looks for a wife and he goes to a well far away and he says, Lord, please lead me to the right woman. If she comes and she's generous and she wants to share the water that she's drawing with me, she'll be the right one. And a, and a woman comes, her name's Rebecca, and she's pure. She's never slept with anyone. She's the perfect wife. She's of the right family and she says the right thing. She's watering and giving generously water to everyone and the servant watches and then she takes the servant to her family and they have a discussion and the family are on board and there's gifts of gold and rings and jewelry exchanged and the wife comes back and at the end of Genesis 24 it says and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening and he lifted his eyes and looked and there the camels were coming then Rebekah lifted her eyes 
And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. How does that compare with the modern picture? It's just so different. In the biblical picture, God says, Isaac, you are meditating, you're worshiping God, you're working in the fields. Rebecca, you're serving, you're loving your family, you're doing your best, you're serving God. And the father, Abraham, sends his servant, the Holy Spirit, and brings the two of you together. And you're not out searching in the seedy, weird places of the world to try and find a godly spouse. That's God's plan. He says, you serve, you love, you honor, you do all the things that God's told you to do. You're not looking around all the time for a spouse. You're serving God, and God brings the two together. And it's the perfect one. I just, I feel so sad these days for young people who kind of get pushed into a mold by the world that says you've got to be searching, and the things you've got to be looking for are the way the person looks, and a whole lot of different characteristics that are not what the Bible says we should be looking for. And then they look and they find, and then they've got to go to some weird place to meet that person. Maybe a dark, dingy bar or nightclub or something. And then there's got to be this weird thing where we pretend we're married for a bit called dating to see if it works. And we get a little bit physically involved with each other. So we give away part of our virginity to each other and then we say oh it's not working let's try the next one it's sad for me i know you might think i'm weird but i, I just think that's not what god intended and by the way i'm not perfect i did that as a teenager i did this whole practicing for divorce thing again and again let's try the next girl let's practice for divorce a bit let's try the next one let's practice a bit and see how it feels to get divorced and eventually, God was kind enough to give me a perfect wife. I don't deserve her. She never went out with anyone before she met me. Amazing. She's the Rebecca and I'm the Skabanga. I'm not the right one. <laughs> but God is kind. But I just want to say that there is another way. And it doesn't have to be weird and religious where we all dress up in funny black frocks and, you know, all weirdness. It's just normal life. But I'm not giving in to the world's degraded standards. I'm trusting God for the perfect wife or the perfect husband, the right one, who serves God, who I don't have to compromise my standards to get. Oh, well, I think he made a commitment once many years ago, and I'm not sure if he's a Christian, but I'll take him. No, no, God's got the right man or the right woman for you who loves God, and together you're going to serve God in an awesome way. Right, grannies and grandpas. Listen to these wor words, Psalm 92. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I love that picture. Gray-headed people who are fresh and flourishing in the courts of God, who are serving God in the family of God. This idea of putting old people out to pasture... It's not a happy thing. It's not a, I don't believe it's a good thing. 
You know, we kind of say, well, you've, you're no longer productive, you're no longer helpful to society, so we'll put you in this building over there somewhere where there's a whole lot of other people like you, and we'll close the doors and the gates, and we'll forget about you. That's not God's plan. God's idea is that the elderly, the gray-headed, the Bible says, are full of wisdom. They impart that wisdom. The older women teach the younger women. They, they share with the youngsters. The Bible says one generation will praise God to the next generation. We pass on what we've learned. You know, some of the things that the older people have learned, there's no way to learn them other than by experience. And I'd rather learn by their experience than have to wait till I'm 70 to have learned that lesson. And we don't do that unless we welcome the elderly's wisdom, advice. In life groups, I, I just love when an elderly person starts to talk, I just want to shut up and listen because there's something they're going to say that is valuable. And they may not say it in the most modern language with the most trendy words, but I promise you there's something that they've learned that we need to hear. And we need the elderly, amen? We need, we need you, old folks. You old gray heads. Titus 2 says, The older men should be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. And then he goes on to talk about the older women as well. 1 John 2 verse 13. I'm just going to read it quickly to you. Then I'm going to close. So this is John writing to the church. He says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers, that's the elderly, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. There's an, a strength and, an, and a, an army spirit in them. Then he says it again. I write to you little children because you've known the father. I write to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. There's a knowledge that you have. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. I wonder if our church here and the churches around the world have what John was writing here. I wonder if we have children who know the Father. I wonder if we have young men and women who are powerful warriors for God, not just coming to church because dad and mom say so, but actually have a passion to extend the kingdom. And fathers who have known him who is from the beginning, who have a knowledge and a wisdom. Because you see, the church is a family as well. Just as the family unit is a place of life that produces great life and, and continuing of the species. The church is a family that extends and gives birth to new churches and brings life and new babies come through, new Christians come through the church. It's an awesome thing. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, let's try and just get back to the idea that actually there is a model. There is a pattern for families and for churches that act as as families, with love, with respect, with joy, with fun, with adventure, with good relationships, with honesty, working through issues, sometimes a little bit messy, sometimes not exactly planned and, and orderly, but it's a place of life and joy. So can I ask us to stand? Maybe the musicians can come up and play for a bit. And let's just focus on the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Folks, I'm going to ask you to just look to the Father, Father God above. And we're just going to search our hearts for a moment and say, Lord, 
How is my relationship with you as regards you as my father and me as your child and regards your family, the church? Am I in a family or perhaps I'm attending a performance or a business or a presentation or something? Lord, have I got this whole concept of family right in my life? Do I see my fellow Christians as brothers and sisters? Do I understand the family commitment and the family blessing? Or am I a bit of a floating, wandering person with no real family? And friends, if you feel like you need to become more of a family, please make a decision today. Say, Lord, today's the day. Today's the day that I commit to your family and I open myself up to become a member of that family, not just a wandering person who's in and out. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be grounded and planted in the house of God. If that's you today, just make that commitment in your heart. Help me, Lord, to be part of the family of God. Thank you, God. Secondly, you might be here today and your earthly family was a mess. Is a mess, was a mess. I want to say to you, there's forgiveness today. Many of the people in the Bible came from families that were messed up. Israel, the beginner of the, of the nation of Israel, had four wives, 12 sons from different wives. And there was all sorts of problems, but God redeemed and was kind and brought life out of it. You might have come from a broken, messed up family, or your existing family might be, might be messed up. You may have been divorced several times. You may even now be in the middle of something that is not God's plan. Friends, there's forgiveness. There's restoration. God can do anything. He can start again. And you might be living under guilt today and saying, I can't be righteous because of my family issues. I just want to declare to you today, the Lord says, there is forgiveness for all sin, no matter what it is. And we can move on with a brand new day and a brand new plan starting from today. Just receive that. Just receive that forgiveness. If you have sinned or if your family sinned, just say, Lord, I put this before you and I'm moving on now. Clean and starting afresh. And now, Lord, we just pray for our families, our earthly families now. God, you said when the Philippian jailer asked, how do I be saved? You said, repent and be baptized and you will be saved and your whole household. Father, I pray for our households, for our families, husbands, wives, children, grandparents, and extended families, Lord. God, that your salvation would extend to our whole households. Lord, we want to claim our children and our extended families for you. We want to stand in the gap and say, God, your kingdom come in my family as it is in heaven, Lord. God, let your light and your salvation spread to all of my extended relatives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Would you like to just have a seat? I'd like to just encourage you. You know, I became a Christian and I was the only Christian in my family. And uh, my dad had committed suicide. And so we'd lost touch with the whole of my dad's side of the family. They were living in another country. I didn't know any of them. I knew my dad had been married before he married my mum, and he'd had two sons, but I didn't know their families. I didn't know any of that side of the family, and I hardly really knew my mum's family either. But none of them were Christians, 
But I prayed for them and I, I trusted that God said your whole household, your whole family will be saved. And I found out 20 years later, I got a phone call and this girl said, hello, I am your niece who you don't know. I said, how did that happen? She says, well, your half brother, your dad's son from the previous marriage had children and I'm his daughter and I am a Christian. Are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. She says, I want to come and live with you and work in your church for a year with you and your family. Would that be okay? And she came and the family was restored and she worked in our church. She's a wonderful Christian. She's living in America now. And I found out that all of that side of the family had become Christians in the period since I had been saved. It was amazing. I met a cousin who's married to a pastor and they, they're serving in a church in South Africa. My uncle is working in a street uh, soup kitchen in a church giving soup to people and, and giving the gospel to people. I found people were saved who I never knew and they weren't saved but because God's kingdom works through families they were all touched by the kingdom of God. And I just want to encourage you your whole household can be saved. It can be, it can be a reality in your life. We're going to close with a song in a minute but let's just do a couple of announcements. Um, and, and just to say also, we're going to take up an offering in a moment. I felt just to read, to read you this verse, 2 Corinthians 9. He says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That word purposes means I decide not based on emotion. He says, not grudgingly or of necessity. In other words, not because someone's pushing me or not because there's a need asking for my help. But then he says... For God loves a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful is a Greek word, hilarious. <laughs> he says, give as you purpose in your heart. Not based on need or being compelled by someone or emotion. But then he says that you can be hilarious in giving. In giving. So as I purpose, God, I'm giving to your work and extending your kingdom around the world. It's possible that God puts a hilarity in your heart. And you actually... When Greg stands up and says, now we're going to take up the offering, you go, whee <laughs> And I felt like the Lord said, just challenged us to say, do we find giving hilarious? Lord God, thank you that we can give to your work. Not grudgingly, not because someone's pushing us, not because we feel guilty. But thank you, God, that you give us the privilege and the joy of seeing your family extended around the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.